house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I'm just some nice guy. In your eyes. I was just gonna do this one favor and then disappear. Stop me steal my There's something I want to tell you, which is hard to say. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm happy. I don't feel sorry for you. You were the first person in over a year who was nice to me who didn't know. What is it that you want? Someone to say goodnight to. A last call of the day. I don't have a last call of the day. If you don't tell her, everything out of your mouth is a lie. Miramax Films presents Academy Award winner Ben Affleck, Academy Award winner Gwyneth Paltrow. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that didn't see it, can't believe it, but oh boy, do we ever fucking feel it when Chris puts an earworm <laughs> into our heads that lasts a whole damn week. When Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. Chris, can you perform an autopsy that gets that song out of my head? Would you please? Um, are you asking me your baby girl because you need to know? I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I am I am, of course, your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host, Chris File, placer of your worms. Chris, hi. 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 I just had I to get you. I just had some... to like get you a little bit of a little needle there because truthfully. I had to sneak that in, too, because I put in the script something else about uh, bringing out the dead. But truly, the lingering impact of that podcast will be that fucking Mark Anthony song. You know what, though? I do think we're going to have quite a few earworms still in this episode, because Joseph... Oh, Bounce is full of earworms. I have a question for you. (laughs) Yes. Can you bounce with me? Can you, can you, can you bounce with me? Bounce with me. I mean, it all depends on whether I can hit it in the morning is essentially the answer to that. Without giving you half of my dough? There's a lot. Listen, what we found this week in preparing for our episode on the 2000 film Bounce is that there's a lot of pop songs that have the term bounce in it, which is honestly good for the culture. It makes me feel good about us in general that we seem so bounce-centric, which is good, but it makes looking up things about the movie Bounce um, almost 20 years after the fact a little bit difficult. Utterly impossible. Yeah. Also, why is this movie called Bounce? A movie about the most primary thing that I know about this movie, because this is the first time that I had seen it, was watching it for this podcast, was that it was about 
the aftermath of a plane crash, and the title bounce just seems cruel in that regard, right? Right, like the plane didn't bounce off the ground. Jesus and I was like, Christ. well, there must be a real reason then for this movie. Like, is it that like she's bouncing back from well, her she has husband that mini dying? monologue in the movie where there's some like tangential thing. Of it's like basically like bouncing from one thing to the next and resiliency or whatever, but it's like it's not really a crucial monologue. It's like no. there was either another title and they needed something catchy or, or they truly couldn't come up with the title. It's it's very strange. The thing that I like and like they're extra trying to sell you on it because we'll talk about the poster because I hate this poster, but the O in bounce is literally bouncing. It's like oh, okay, God. cute, fine. All of the promotion for this, because... You, it's terrible! You, you listeners will have just heard the trailer, because I'll have put the clip for the trailer before we started talking, which both which had not one, but two songs that place myself right the fuck in the year 2000, in terms of where, like, those two songs could not be more definitionally 2000 to me, which were... Um, Dido, the Dido song here with me, which also recurs in the movie. Like, there's a huge fucking montage in the, the middle of this movie. The song is way more dramatic than what is happening on set, screen to the point set that to it's Dido's here funny. with me. All right, like here's... the bass drops when he's finding her in a bathroom <gasps> okay. line. Because all right, that song is so fucking perfect and dramatic. It's also used in um, Love Actually. But do you know the WB song that used it? The WB series that used it as its theme song. I'm going to give you a multiple choice This is like past my era of watching the WB. Okay, you're going to get four choices, and I'm going to see if you can guess correctly. Which WB show was Dido's Here With Me the theme song for? Was it Charmed, Roswell, Smallville, or Angel? Okay, I know that it wasn't the first one because I watched that show. Charmed, right? Charmed's theme song was a cover of uh, The Smiths' How Soon Is Now. Yes. That is, like, extra dramatic. And it also was, like, fully ripped off from the craft. Um, there's also, uh, okay. Uh, I should have watched Angel. I never watched it. Okay, so there's Angel. It can't be Angel. It has to be Roswell. You're correct. It yeah. Is Every time I hear that song, Dido is in the DC uh, television universe. No, it's not Smallville. Okay, so this trailer, which is fully awful, the fonts, honey, the fonts. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Also, I love the fact that there's that like dramatic voiceover where it's just like Academy Award winner Ben Affleck, Academy Award winner Gwyneth Paltrow, and then the title is so bad that they just never say it. They just let Edwin McCain take you away on a, like, wave of adult contemporary. Like, Okay, fully before I started this trailer, I was like, one of two songs is going to be in this trailer. <laughs> Edwin McCain's I'll Be, or I forget the artist's name, but do you remember Rockabye? Oh, uh, Sean Mullins is Rockabye? Sean Mullins. Yes, I absolutely Mullins. do. Somebody needs to find it's, the trailer that does have. one trailer to a movie we've already talked about. 
It has to be because like somebody remind us because 100% Rockabye is a trailer song extraordinaire from this time in history. That is absolutely true. Sean Mullins is still eating well off of movie trailers for that one fucking song. Edwin oh. McCain's uh, contribution to American culture, right, is not one but two songs that sound plausibly like you could be singing to your lover or Jesus. Like, that's his whole vibe, is that just, like, I'll be your crying shoulder, I'll be whatever, whatever, could be, like... I like I am your lover or I am Jesus to you. You know what I mean? Or and then right. his other one, which was um that could not ask for more, you know that song. Yeah. Uh which all which fully, fully sounds like like Christian revival camp, right? Like this right, is right, like right, Christian right, right. rock um designed to like lure the teens into you know, whatever. It's a musical torture device because it's also like exactly the kind of song that a middling, semi-attractive, but boring singer, male singer on American Idol is fully going home to. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they come out with Edwin McCain and it's like, oh, this is the week they're going home. Yep. Slightly, like, not to be, like, stereotypical, but also I am this, so it's fine. Like, uh, a soft, doughy, bearded man would come out and sing this song, right? Like somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's a there's a there's a degree of pudge that you need to possess to like really sell this song. And, or like a John Stevens. Or that. That's true. Or that you're right, that you're like too young to understand adult emotions. <laughs> yes. And so what's on you? Sexuality. Out, you pull out I'll be and it's so uh yeah. It's really funny. It's also funny that that song and Foxy Brown's I'll Be have the same title, yeah. and it's just like one could not be more different from the other. And I would love to like you know, be a fly on the wall of anybody who like selects the one having wanted to select the other. Like you make a request to a DJ Foxy or whatever Brown. at like well, some kind of ungodly club that would like play both of them. <laughs> and so they play, or like you're the in a two jukebox genders, or whatever. Really. Right, the two genders, Foxy Brown's I'll be and Edwin McCain's I'll be. Um, but like, yeah, imagine being like at a jukebox or whatever, and all you all you see is the title there, and you're just like, aha, the exact song I want. <laughs> it's the other one that plays. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, bounce. That's what bounce means. It's what your head does off of the floor when the wrong version of I'll be plays. <laughs> bounce. Um. So yeah, we are talking about. Anything more about the trailer? Wait, I want I want you to have the space. Um, it fully to okay. My thing about the trailer was I was halfway through it and I was like, "This trailer's not going to reveal what the actual plot is. It's not going to talk about the plane <laughs> crash." And then it eventually does. It does. But it also has the fonts drove me crazy because they're fully serial killer movie fonts. So it like really <laughs> it, like kind the of scratchy the like seven font where it's like where uh, like it blows out and then it stretches across the screen. <laughs> Well, you know, this was originally supposed to... One of the things about this movie is that it was originally supposed to be dramatic. Like, not a romantic drama, but, like, a dramatic drama. And and then it was sort of retooled as a more sort of, like, lighter romance. Which is, I think, a lot of the problems of this movie are that the tone of the film are not really in line with the plot of the film. Because the plot of the film is not just dark, but just, like... It's hard to like, it's hard to want to support what's going on in this movie. Yeah, because right? it's creepy. It's creepy. It's creepy. Yeah. 
So um, before we get too too heavy into the plot, uh, we are talking about the 2000 movie Bounce, written directed by Don Roos, starring Ben Affleck, Gwyneth Paltrow, Tony Goldwyn, Natasha Henstridge, the species uh, herself, Natasha Henstridge, mm-hmm. Caroline Aaron, Joe Morton, Jennifer Grey, and premiered November 17th, 2000, after originally... Being set to premiere in October, it got bounced back. It got bounced back a month. Maybe that's why they called it bounce, because um, it was originally in the Entertainment Weekly fall preview as an October release. Which most of the blurb of that, I went back and I read that yesterday. Most of the blurb of that was spent on the are they or aren't they, were they or weren't they of Gwyneth and Ben's romantic relationship, which had been a sort of topic of conversation ever since they were both on Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conversation of this movie got swallowed up in that. There was the, the thing about, there was a quote from John Roos in the EW Fall Preview where he, like, he said he approached the two of them and um, asked them, he said their chemistry was so good, he asked them if um if they were dating and they said uh, and they sort of like laughed and was just like oh don't you read a tabloid um we we uh broke up we like we were dating and then we broke up and then we did the, uh, then they signed on to the movie the official story was they signed on to the movie after they had broken up and don russ don russ said what he said to them was just like have you told yourselves because you're still like very very coupley in your vibe and i think that was the story for a long time which was Everybody around them was just like, no, you should be dating because, like, you guys are very, like, you know, coupley together. And then ultimately, he went on to Jennifer Lopez and she went on to Chris Martin. And I don't know if they're, if I, don't, I don't know if that is a friendship that has uh, endured. I don't think you ever really hear about, like, Ben and Gwyneth being friends the way you hear about, like, platonic, other platonic, like Nicole Kidman and Russell right, Crowe. Right. You always hear about how, like, they're pals, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you remember this from at the time? Were you at all invested in Ben and Gwyneth as, like, a thing back then? No. And I'm super blurry about the timeline because, like, I didn't really embrace Gwyneth as a thing until, like, this time. I saw Shakespeare in Love very late, like, as a late teenager. Gotcha. Uh, So, like, she wasn't fully an entity that I understood, so I didn't know the dating thing, and then it was also, like, she dated Brad Pitt, and it's always, like, blurring together of, like, what what is the relationship timeline, and I still don't think I understand it for Gwyneth Paltrow. I feel like she and Brad were over before Shakespeare in Love. I'm pretty sure. That makes sense. Because I don't think they, like, he would have been on the red carpet with her if they were still together, and they weren't. I remember they were together through Seven, through, I want to say, like, maybe even, like, Seven Years in Tibet, which was, like, 97. Mm. But, like, by the time she was doing all that red carpet, I feel like she was, like, mostly defined through her family during that campaign, right? It was right. all her mother's Blythe Danner. She's a child of Hollywood. She All of her speeches were about her dad and her grandfather. Remember her grandpa, Buster, who was, like, um, going through health problems at the time. And her father was Bruce Paltrow, obviously, TV producer, yada, yada. And so there wasn't a whole lot about her romantic relationships, which makes me feel like Brad was, like, pretty well in the rearview mirror at that point. And then Affleck being, like, on that set and on that movie, I'm pretty sure that that's how they met and their sort of friendship slash relationship started. But that hadn't really even started hitting um, major tabloids until after she had won the Oscar, I'm pretty sure. 
But again, my timeline might be a little bit fuzzy too, just because I was like a dumb teen at the time. So like, what do I know? <laughs> um, but so do we want to launch ourselves into the discussion of Bounce with a 60 yes, second... Yes, and we'll loop back into the romantic relationship. We'll loop back into that conversation, obviously, because there's that's one of the <laughs> few things to talk about with this movie. So... I'm going to set... Or, like, the major thing that, like, kind of shadows everything. That's the thing. Yeah, that... It, it... This movie failed, but in a way that wasn't, like, spectacular, right? Like, the reviews were just, like... it failed because of that, too. So Like, th- at least with people's ambivalence towards the movie. There was just nothing to hold on to with it. It wasn't love it or hate it. It was just, like, uh, there's a, a There's a few, like, key things about the movie that made it really difficult to transcend the relationship. Right, right. To make it more, yeah. There was there were a few things about yeah, the movie to like create further conversation. For exactly, it. exactly. All right. So, Chris, sixty seconds. The plot of Bounce. Ready? Yes. Go. All right. In Bounce, Ben Affleck plays an ad executive named Buddy because, of course, he does, and he is like snowed into an airport one night, and he uh, meets Natasha Henstridge that he's like flirting with her, and then the uh, Tony Goldwyn comes in and like bogarts. His name is Greg Janello, and Greg Janello has like a family back home that he's trying to get to, and Buddy like feels sort of nice, but really he just wants to get laid with Natasha Henstridge, so he gives him his plane ticket. They do this whole like thing of like getting him onto the plane. That's like. Seconds fully not okay to do in an airport anyway the plane crashes tony goldwyn dies gwyneth paltrow finds out in the night and now she is a widow cut to a year later after buddy has had like massive problems with alcohol and he's now in aa and he like decides to meet this wife that he knows about and like he shows up at gwyneth paltrow's door eventually like gets her to like work with his ad agency and like sell them a new place and then they fall in love and it's really creepy and eventually she finds out and of course like dumps him and then, like, with almost... Oh, yeah. Time's up. Time's and up, they don't get back whole, together. <laughs> like, a, time's up, they get back together after, like, a courtroom thing where it's, like, there's a libel suit. Or not all of a sudden, it's obviously. like it's like the hearing from Sully at the end of the movie where, like, all 100%. of a sudden, Jennifer Grey's on trial for violating FAA rules or whatever. And that is really, truly shoehorned into... It's, like, the only way to make buddy redeemable is to literally put him on trial yeah it's um it's a lot i was going through the research that i was going through for bounds i came across the uh, review of this movie from our friend and former podcast guest nick davis who reviewed it for his site nick's flick picks and um First of all, check out his site and his reviews always. I love that his oh, archives Nick, are like you. still fully available. Um, his reviews are really just like great to like just dig into, whatever. Anyway, he uh, when he was writing about the movie, his take was basically, I really like this Gwyneth Paltrow character, and I really hate this Ben Affleck character, and I really resent this movie for making me experience their story through his lens and want to like the movie seems to keep wanting to redeem him and I don't want that to happen because I don't think he should be. And I don't think that Gwyneth Paltrow's character, after all she's been through, should have to like suffer the further indignity of having to like take this doofus back after The problem with that though is if you do see it from Abby's point of view, it's a horror movie. Well, right. Right. Um, yes. 
The other, I, I think I, the, the fundamental problem in this movie is the transgression that Ben Affleck does in this movie, however, you know, not maliciously intended. Everything he does in this movie is too much to forgive to have a romantic relationship with him. Like, you're not going to throw him in jail for it, and you're not going to, like, whatever, punch him in the face for it. But ultimately... It's too much to ask the audience to accept all of that and then want to see Gwyneth Paltrow take him back at the end, I think. I think that is all true. I have a larger problem with how it essentially tries to create situations to blame Abby for it. Like, she invites him essentially on what would be their first date to a Dodgers game. Right. And, like she kind of is the one to actually initiate the thing where it's like Ben Affleck just wants to be like, he. Just, I don't know what he wants. He just wants to show up at her door and like watch her or something I don't because think it he's blames... like cowardly and moving it forward. Yeah. But I think the movie ultimately like blames Abby for being put in this situation. Cause it's like, well, you asked him out on a date. So what are you going to do? Like, you know, I don't it happened think it... because you wanted it to happen to the point where it's like the Caroline Aaron character who's supposed to be like the supportive friend who lives across the street, which by the way has a monologue that does that. Yeah. Totally didn't realize Caroline Aaron was her friend and not her mother or aunt or some sort of like relation to her. Um, Queen Caroline Aaron, we love her. Love <laughs> Caroline. Truly... I was so happy to see her in this movie. And then when it gave her that monologue at the end of the movie where it's like, let me just tell my friend about how she put herself in this situation for this man to like ingratiate himself into her life inappropriately. Caroline Aaron is the perfect example of the level of character actress who I tend to assume people know who she is. And then I'm always met with these like blank stares and blank faces. And then me having to be like, have you seen primary colors? And they're like, no. And I'm like, have you seen Edward Scissorhands? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then I can't help you. I don't know. Right. I don't know. She's probably most facially recognizable and like vocally recognizable as one of the slew of suburban women um, under Kathy Baker's domination in Edward Scissorhands. In Edward Scissorhands, right. Yeah, I think that's probably... The, uh, although her best, genuinely her best performance is um, Primary Colors, that scene, where it's her and Emma Thompson on the one side of the table, and then Billy Bob Thornton and um, Maura Tierney and... Oh, what the hell's that guy's name? The um, the guy who plays Henry in Primary Colors. And they're trying to, like, get to the bottom of, like, what we need to know about Jack Stanton's infidelities so that we can, like, get ahead of it. And they delve into this, like, elaborate metaphor about doves and... Um... How would you deal with it? By knowing more than they do. By being prepared so that when a story like Chicago comes up, we can fight back with the truth. That's impossible. How are we supposed to know what kind of garbage they're going to come up with? Well, that's the point, Lucille. That's the whole ever fucking point. We need to hire an operative to do research. You see what I mean? We need to get somebody that can get... Investigate our lives. Investigate everything. Everything anybody can make an allegation about. Well, that's ridiculous. We don't play that game. That's the media's game. We play the people's game. We say to them, the Republicans and the media, that want the election to be about trash. We want it to be about your future. We don't shoot doves in this campaign, Richard. We protect them. What do you mean? Well, don't the doves represent the people? No. Well, but I don't understand who the doves are. Forget the doves. 
like going hunting for doves and like what we what we tell and what we don't tell. And ultimately, Caroline Aaron, who's playing essentially Linda Bloodworth Thomason, she's playing like Hillary Clinton's best friend, right? And she's like, she eventually is just sort of just like, who the fuck are the doves? Like, what are we talking about? And just like, and it's her and <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton just sort of having this argument. And it's so great and so wonderful. There's also the other scene where like Kathy Bates shows up and she just like fully yells across the room at Caroline Aaron, just like, you shit for brains. Like, I will not let you fuck up another political campaign. It's really, I don't know. Anyway, to, to, to love Caroline Aaron to me is to love primary colors. Anyway, um, backing up, backing up, backing up. Oh, um, <laughs> this whole relationship scenario is yeah. uh, twisted. I don't think it's necessarily that the film is blaming Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Her name is Abby, right? Yes. I don't think the film is blaming Abby, but I think what it's doing is taking every chance to like give Ben Affleck's character a little bit less culpability, right? Mm-hmm. Where like every every sort of coincidental so thing. Right. She's the one who asks him out. She's the one who doesn't like, you know, um she's the one who allows this relationship to sort of like get started before he gets a chance to like uh confess or whatever. And and it's just like this is the movie trying to write him a hall pass. And I don't want, and I end up resenting the movie for it. Like ultimately, I there's this weird transference that happens where I I don't like what what Buddy is doing, and then when the movie tries to write him an excuse for it and sort of like write around the narrative to make us try to feel bad for him or try to feel sympathetic for him, I end up transferring my resentment of the Buddy character to the movie and you know, the movie's not able to crawl out from under that. That makes absolute sense. And then it's like, it has to go into this really, like, forced, sudden narrative at the very end of the movie that there's, you know, the lawsuit happening and that, like, forcing him on the stand so it's like he's not only dealing with or like exonerating Jennifer Grey or not exonerating her who was like a friend and it was super weird to be like you travel that much that you know the gate attendants sure I think it's just that he like had sex with her right that was the possibly I mean we're supposed to believe that he's a womanizer and it doesn't really go anywhere once he becomes an alcoholic but like it's so extreme that he like has to have this emotional like moment on trial that's so outsized for like what the reality of this movie is which is normally just like pleasant to watch people talking in a room but it's like i guess i'm not saying it all that well no i think no i think you're saying it you're saying it very well i think the other it becomes a very outlandish movie out of nowhere yes and for the sole purpose of Of redeeming him allowing him to redeem himself yeah and like allowing this like very public confession to happen. Yeah. The other thing that this movie runs into is the brick wall of the essential Ben Affleck problem, which is he's not likable enough to carry off the kinds of characters he's best suited for. I think there's a, there was a sense after Goodwill Hunting and after... Um, the sort of the publicity campaign for that, which became not just like Matt Damon's screen idol and his like trolley friend, Ben, the writer, it became Matt and Ben, the two new stars of Hollywood. And then Armageddon happened. 
And everybody figured, oh, no, it's Ben Affleck who's the matinee idol. Like, Matt Damon's, like, doing, like, actor shit. Like, mm-hmm. Matt da- or Ben Affleck's going to be the one who we can, like, put on a poster. And so all of a sudden, he was in a lot of these, like, romantic comedies and romantic dramas. He's in Forces of Nature with Sandra Bullock. He's in this movie. He's in Reindeer Games. He's in... Um, uh, Pearl Harbor and ultimately Geely. I think ultimately, like, Geely is the sort of like. Geely kind of killed that. Geely and then, like, Surviving Christmas or whatever, right? And, like, but even after that, even after Geely killed that and he, like, bottomed out and he's, like, starts to crawl back as, like, a director or whatever, you even get into stuff like. I'm trying to think what. There was something after Gone Girl, I feel like. I think because I think Gone Girl gave people hope that, like, no, we can make this Ben Affleck actor thing happen again because he got the perfect role in that movie, which is a... uh, Dim scumbag. Dim scumbag who is on the surface both everything you love and everything you hate about, like, handsome white men, like, movie stars. It's incredibly meta-casting, and it's brilliant, and he's brilliant in it. But, but it's, like, I think it's, that's when he's best, is when he's playing someone dumb, or he's playing, like, a douche or a scumbag. But it's a lottery ticket. It's the only, it's the one yeah. in a million shot. Gone Girl is not gonna keep happening for Ben Affleck. It is, it threads the exact perfect needle of what a Ben Affleck role can be. And so I think then he tries to be like Bruce Wayne and everybody's like, fuck no dude. Like, and then it becomes a bunch of action movies. Right. And it's just like, uh, I feel like we're going through the cycle again. Like all of a sudden live by night happens and he's supposed to be this like charismatic gangster. And it's like, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're not going to be that guy. You're not going to be Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like that's not what we want out of you. We mostly want you to direct but also just like if every once in a while you want to play like the heavy like weirdly everything about runner runner was terrible except for the idea to cast ben affleck as the bad guy yeah like a wall street or a ceo scumbag right boiler room's perfect for him like boiler room is just like junior varsity glengarry glenn ross okay yes absolutely like do that but like the town fuck no absolutely not like nothing is funnier to me in his filmography, than Ben Affleck being in a Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> that makes no sense. Especially the Terrence Malick movie that he is in. He's into The Wonder, right? Yeah. Which is like the like love story one. I it's... want whoever put it in my head at some point just tweeted the phrase to the wonder, to the wall, and like Put oh that, my god. Put that Lil John lyric in my, my head. So now every single time I see the phrase to the wonder, all I think of <laughs> is to the wonder, to the wall. And it's just like no. Okay. Thank you. Now y'all have it. That. Now it's now it's out in the population. It's like, I don't know, the signal or something. Anyway. Yeah, this movie has a Ben Affleck problem like a lot of movies have a Ben Affleck problem. It kept making me think of, like, Jersey Girl for some reason. Where it was just like, wow, this movie like might have a chance with a more like charismatic and likable it's not even charismatic because like he has charisma it's just not a good charisma it's not the kind of charisma where it's just like i want you to end up with this like lovely woman who like i love gwyneth paltrow in this movie i think her i think she's doing a great job in this movie i think she's a tiny i think she does a good job in a role that she's miscast in that's not very well written but i think if this is a movie that is not so bent on forgiving Buddy or, like, exonerating him 
and Ben Affleck is still in it, and it's like a movie that is aware that what he is doing is wrong, and I, I think that is a better performance from Ben Affleck, and I think it's a better movie. I want to detour very quickly now that we've mentioned Gwyneth. This is a an extremely rare, much more rare than I even realized, moment in cinematic history, which is Brunette Gwyneth. Which Brunette Gwyneth. This is the Brunette Gwyneth movie. It is not a movie. All all other films that feature Gwyneth as not blonde. I literally looked up her entire. I did like image searches on everything. One of them is Sylvia, and she's still mostly blonde in that. It's just sort of like a like. It's like um, strawberry, right? It's like a strawberry kind of like yeah. right, right. And shout out to our Sylvia episode. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's Flesh and Bone, which I haven't seen, but which she is in that movie as a brunette and as a blonde, and that movie sort of like spans some time, right? So like she's not just brunette in that movie. She is also partially blonde for that movie. And then Sliding Doors, which is like the iconic one, where it's just like sad <laughs> brunette Gwyneth or happy blonde Gwyneth. And that sort of seems to have like defined everything else where it's just like gotta be blonde gotta be blonde she's like the quintessential hollywood blonde right but like i think she looks fucking gorgeous in this movie as a brunette and it's wild to me that she hasn't done this more often uh i mean i would definitely be into it uh well i think it wasn't it brunette gwyneth that kind of spurred us to finally do this movie because we were talking about something you were like oh that was when Gwyneth went blonde or went brunette and I said no she went brunette for Bounce right yeah whatever it was I was thinking of the wrong movie but yeah you're right it was Bounce she had done like darker hair on a couple red carpets too which I found to be like very intriguing but like this is this yeah, is like the what, it, what red carpet is this? The picture that I'm looking at where she has the giant like neck full of beads that it looks like a goth Gwyneth for some. It's like black purpose. hair, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. super dark. It's like a Golden Globes. I want to say that w- that makes complete sense. And I don't know what the what um the purpose for that was because it wasn't for a role. It honestly like she's never been that dark haired in in a movie before i don't know um yeah i really do i think i really do like her in this movie a lot yeah it's interesting i mean i it's some of it is just appealing because we don't really get to see her like emote really or play like a range of experience in a single role i guess i mean maybe that's some of like the pepper pots of it all and sometimes pepper pots she's a redhead too but. i think she does really good in a lot of like yeah pepper pots is redhead but like yes um certainly not dark Blonde redhead. strawberry yeah. um i like the scenes of her parenting in this movie i think like it's little stuff like that that i think she does very naturalistically that i think i don't know i think sometimes she i just she doesn't get cast in movies that ask her to do that she doesn't gwyneth paltrow is never the like picture of like warm motherhood you think of when you when she gets cast in things right she's either like fragile or feisty or sort of you know like plucky for a while like emma Mm -hmm. i think was like plucky gwyneth and like shakespeare in love obviously was that um but this is i don't know this is a this is a couple different flavors of her that i feel like we don't really get very often and i enjoyed it also, her kids are played by Home Alone 3 and yes. The Ring. 
which is very funny. It took me forever to realize <laughs> who the younger kid was, and I'm like, oh, it's that kid from The Ring who I find so creepy. I, yeah, I mean, like, I get all of those things that you're saying about Gwyneth. The scenes that I kind of really liked because I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting because it's not necessarily interested in making her finger quotes likable the because uh, you mentioned the parenting thing when she was like you're gonna tell my children goodbye i was like this is maybe like psychotic warfare like psychological warfare on your children like maybe leave your kids out of this i um, but i i kind of appreciated that as a i kind of liked like, it too because like she's the stepping movie over the line so, yeah well yeah like the movie's just so glossy i appreciated a more like prickly moment yeah, me when too. When that happened too. Like, well, and everything think, about this is very, it's a very beige movie. But there are moments when you remember that, like, Don Roos is a really good writer, right? Like, it, yeah. this is, he's not the writer of beige things. He's not the writer of, like, these pleasant little movies. He's the guy who wrote The Opposite of Sex. He's the guy who wrote, uh, wrote and directed The Opposite of, right? He directed The Opposite of Sex as well, yes? Yes, yes. And also Happy Endings, which, if you have ever seen that movie, is like. <laughs> it is lost to the SEO. Well, right, yes. Happy Endings is an impossible movie to SEO, especially after the ABC sitcom. But um, the that film is full of, like, amoral people making, like, compromise choices and whatever. And everybody mm-hmm. is, like, really spiky. That Maggie Gyllenhaal character is just, like, cruel at times in that film. And it and owns yet, like, it in a way yes. that Bounce never does. Right. Um but to like you to your point of like his his writing of this movie like there are like genuinely charming like romantic interchanges and i feel like they're all yeah. dumped into the trailer to sell this as romantic as possible the thing about her taking up smoking to get off of the nicotine yeah. gum yeah well, now you'll be on heroin um there's also like, a moment the where... dialogue's great even if like the plotting of the movie is not yeah and even like not even just like quirky little like interstitial stuff like that but there's a moment after she dumps him where she's having that conversation with caroline aaron where caroline aaron ultimately like lays the guilt trip of like you know guilt trip on her to make her go and reconsider him but she abby's able to acquit herself very well she says that being with him is like making a choice between Buddy and Greg, her husband. She said, it's essentially being like, if I choose to love Buddy, that means that I'm happy that Greg is dead. Because ultimately, like now knowing now knowing the truth of their little airplane switcheroo, mm-hmm. being happy to have Buddy means being happy to not have Greg. Because the way that fate laid it out, she couldn't have both of them you know what i mean mm-hmm. so and it's just like and it gets to a it sort of strips away a lot of just like the story mechanics of it and it's just like oh right at root what a horrible thing to place upon this woman what a horrible like set of feelings to place upon this woman yeah i don't know i thought i, I think that, i, I mean, just like, think it's I, good writing i do kind of miss don roos too because i really like opposite of sex happy endings is great i would love to revisit that movie it has maggie gyllenhaal singing billy joel guys oh yeah um, maggie gyllenhaal is should have been nominated for an oscar that year should have been nominated for supporting actress it's a great performance she's wonderful in that also he wrote movies before he was able to start directing them i always go back to uh boys on the side 
which is one of my little like pet movies that I always feel like when I go to like when it comes on cable and I go to watch it again and I'm just like, oh, my guilty pleasure, boys on the side. And then I watch it and it's just like, oh, no, there's like legit, really like good, strong, emotional character work between women in that movie that is very like well observed i don't know and he also wrote like he wrote the screenplay for the remake of diabolique which was like a disaster but like he wrote the single white female screenplay he wrote um the love field screenplay like he's done a lot more work and it feels like he hasn't really done much of anything recently he's yeah his most recent is like longtime listeners who will remember our fascination with the potato movie the guernsey literary literary and potato peel pie society he wrote that with a bunch of other people so you can imagine like maybe he punched up the dialogue or something and got the screenplay credit and then there was web therapy for a while right web therapy which he created along with his Husband, I believe they're actually married, which is Dan Bukatinsky. Uh, Dan Bukatinsky, yes, they are who is a creative, a longtime creative partnership with Lisa Kudrow back to the comeback and, you know, several stuff there. I think if you, there's an interesting professional swirling relationship there with like Kudrow was obviously in both Opposite of Sex and happy endings and And could have been oscar nominated for either of those two she's so great yeah oh my god she's phenomenal phenomenal in both of those and dan bukatinsky always sort of like crops up in these he was in um oh he was in one of those like mediocre game movies that i always really love i think it was i think it was all over the guy that he was in he was on scandal for several years and until they ended up like bumping his character off, but scandal opposite Tony Goldwyn, who was in this movie. So like, there's a lot of, you know, doubling back with the two of them. But I love that professional, professional slash romantic sort of like not literal thruple, but like the Don Roos, Dan Bukatinsky, Lisa Kudrow like connection has always been a very interesting and fascinating one for me. Did you ever see Don Roos's last movie, The Other Woman? Which was- I didn't. Okay, so this movie didn't even get distributed in the U.S. until two years after it played Toronto because the reception was so disastrous. I don't like to subject myself to bad Natalie Portman. I've always been curious about it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, curious about it. Um, It seemed pretty basic in concept, right? Where, like, Natalie Portman plays the mistress of someone who ends up being... who ends up marrying the guy, right? Uh, Yes, I believe so. Based on a novel... Oh, interesting. That's interesting. And it's... Who's the man? Lisa Kudrow's also in that movie, by the way. Yeah. Scott Cohen, it looks like. The guy from... uh, He was uh, Lorelai's boyfriend for a season on Gilmore Girls. Sure. This this seems like a cast in search of maybe a better movie. Lauren Ambrose is in this movie. Deborah Monk. Elizabeth Marvel. Maria Dizia. Yeah, this is a good cast. But, um... I'll just say, if we had another Don Ruse movie coming soon that he wrote and directed, I would be very, very excited for it. Oh, me too. Like, I, yeah, he's absolutely more than earned uh, a benefit of the doubt for me. Mm-hmm. For anything he wants to do going forward. But, like, was he also just a little bit maybe of a certain time, and that's not how, that's why we haven't, like, seen anything from him? Because it's, like, it's very much these, like, early to mid 2000s ensemble mm-hmm. like not quirky but like vaguely scabrous ensemble like 
comedy dramas, at least in the two movies that we love. So it's like, yes. I don't know. And also, I mean, not to boil everything a gay creator does down to like the gay content, but it's really fascinating to watch the opposite of sex from a 2019 perspective, which is like nothing about that movie. I don't think could, could be retained in a movie today. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I'd imagine that the movie is somewhat problematic. And then you look at, so then there's the Johnny Galecki character. Johnny Galecki was also in Opposite of Sex. But he's in um, Bounce playing the character who ultimately ends up being, like, Ben Affleck's friend. Like, the the guy who he sort of, like, bounces stuff off of. But, like, it starts starts as Johnny Galecki, like, accusing him, uh, accusing Ben Affleck of hitting on him in the men's room. And then, like, just sort of aggressively, like, jabbing at him about his like alcoholism and whatever and just being like really bitchy about him like getting demoted and getting shipped off to this other office and yada 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 and i'm just like what is this character's <laughs> motivation here like why are i you mean being... i kind of liked him a little bit because he felt like the only one calling buddy out on like his awfulness sure but i just didn't know like why why was he even like having this conversation i don't know it was interesting that like all of a sudden we're just gonna like put this like gay character in the movie for the express purpose of being a fucking bitch and right part of me really very 2000s that. gay yes representation yes. yeah 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 um and listen and i could see that almost as like a reaction to like we're not gonna have it be the like happy little like you go girl gay like we're not gonna have the like gay best friend be the supportive gay best friend we're gonna have it be the fucking bitch who will tell you when you are like acting and like an asshole i don't know it's i think i don't know if it's necessarily that much better but i can see somebody at the time being like i'm just gonna go the other way which whatever (laughs) johnny galecki who is straight in real life which is funny because it sort of violates my rule of just like well you played two gay characters and things that i've seen so i assume that you are gay is the other one uh little dog laughed well no the other one is opposite of sex oh right 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 um, no, I never got to see the little dog laugh because I moved to New York City six months too late. Kills me. Julie love. White. Fucking love Julie White. She is a treasure. I picked Julie White's voice on the new season of uh, Big Mouth from like 200 paces. All of a sudden, I was like across the room and I was like, Hark, <laughs> what is that? The beautiful, warm, southern drawl of Julie White. And like, yes, it was, girl. And I was fully happy about that. I Anything more about the Ben and Gwyneth romantic relationship as it pertained to this movie? It makes me wonder how much of a, especially like hearing those quotes from them, how much of a relationship it really was, Um, or at least like how serious it was, if they're like playing coy about it. I, I will, one thing I'll say in relation to the movie, all of the talk of all this chemistry they have, I really kind of did, I felt like they were two people who were comfortable working together, but I didn't it didn't read as chemistry to me i don't know if it necessarily read as chemistry in the movie my take on ben and gwyneth was always oh they're friends who have sex with each other from time to time and they don't want to define it as a relationship because they've both like or at least she had like really been through the publicity ringer with her relationship with brad so she didn't want to go through that again so she was just like yeah we're not gonna define this as 
boyfriend and girlfriend because I don't want to go through that. But like, yeah, we can like go out and hang out and we'll have sex and whatnot. And the like original Raya. <laughs> the original Raya, Ben and Gwyneth. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think they had not chemistry in this movie. Like I could see them like that that made sense to me, those two together. If I liked him better. It Maybe would've... it's some of the way that they're shot because it's always like a close up on the other person's face. They don't really share the frame all that much. Yeah. That's I very possible. Know. Like I didn't really feel like the romance, the heat, the the affection, something. No, I hear you. It felt like people who were supposed to be in love. And like that's that's a failing of a lot of romantic dramas, romantic comedies, but I don't know. I to hear Don Roos say like, "Well, they have so much chemistry." Mm-mm, I I didn't feel it. Yeah. Um. Oh, one thing about Don Roos that we were going to mention, and then we sort of like blew past it, is he's a two-time Independent Spirit Award winner. Yeah. For the opposite of sex, the opposite of sex was actually came a lot closer, probably to Oscar nominations than we figured. Like Christina Ricci mm-hmm. definitely got that was in Christina Ricci's like multiple acclaimed performances year where it was that and Buffalo 66 and Pecker. And she got the Golden Globe nomination for The Opposite of Sex. And he got nominated for Best First Feature and Best Screenplay at the the, uh, Independent Spirit Awards and won both of them. It's probably one of those things where it was like too gay for 1998. But like maybe this year if it was... Uh, if something like this was received as well as that movie was, it would be a potential nomination for a screenplay or a Lisa Kudrow. I also like the but fact it's just that too gay for that time. Yeah, Kudrow also got a little bit of supporting actress buzz. She must. She won. There was at least one Critics Award where she either won it or was runner up for it. And now I want to look that up. Um, but also, like at the Spirit Awards, he beat out like Paul Schrader for Affliction and Bill Condon for Gods and Monsters, both of which were. Um, Oscar nominees, and normally, at least by today's standards, non-Oscar nominees don't tend to beat Oscar nominees at the Spirits too often, which is like Mm -hmm. a bummer, but like that's the thing. Let's see, Lisa Kudrow was a nominee for Supporting Actress with the Chicago Film Critics. She was a Spirit Awards nominee, was a finalist, I'm assuming nominee in this case on IMDb means runner-up, for the mm-hmm. National Society of Film Critics Supporting Actress Award. She won New York. That's what it was. She won the New York Film Critics Supporting Actress Prize. So, like, yeah, she was sort of, like, all over that award season. And that would have been really interesting to have added It's her... also, like, during Friends time. And I, yeah. I remember, at least because, like, I didn't see that movie until late. I remember the discussion being there's this performance by Lisa Kudrow that, like, makes you rethink her as a performer because it's so different for what we know her doing because like obviously phoebe buffet is a dingbat and then this was like a very like cutting acerbic character listen to this lineup listen to this lineup for best first feature at the spirit awards so uh don roos wins for opposite of sex beats out buffalo 66 vincent gallo i have a whole ton of shit about that movie that i could say but i won't because we don't have enough time um but fuck vincent gallo and fuck what he has to say about buffalo um (laughs) Pie, Darren Aronofsky, High Art, Lisa Cholodenko, and Slums of Beverly Hills, Tamara Jenkins. Like, that's a lineup. Yeah. That is a... Dropkick Vincent Gallo out of it, and that is like a fully obsession lineup for me. Yeah. Oh, Tamara Jenkins. I know. I know. I love her. 
That's a great lineup, though. Good for that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, that was an interesting, you know, what would have been. You could see how, like, the opposite of sex and, like, what that movie is, and it's, like, somewhat subversive and, like, a bodier of a comedy, how Bounce would be seen as more of a disappointment because it's so... Um, I don't want to say blah, but like it's it would be very much at the time seen as a downshift, right? Or like yeah, you know, trying to go mainstream after doing something that was a little left of center. It ultimately turns out blah because it's that's this like neither fish nor fowl kind of thing where it, you know, in that transition from being a sort of heavier drama to a lighter romantic drama, it mm-hmm. you know it falls through the cracks of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, this movie, I mean, like, the reviews were bad, but they weren't, like, disastrously bad, and the movie didn't perform well, but it wasn't disastrously, it it wasn't a disaster box office. It almost made its box office, or maybe it just, it was either, it made $37 off of a $35 million uh, budget, or the other way around. But either way, like, basically came out even in terms of domestic box office. And yeah, the reviews were, like, bad, but not nothing like no huge pans and ultimately it just sort of it was one of the miramax movies from the fall of 2000 that didn't succeed it was we talked about this when we talked about all the pretty horses where it Mm -hmm. was this and all the pretty horses and all of a sudden all the miramax titles flopped and chocolat was the one that was left standing Mm -hmm. so part of the reason that this movie was like had to have just been met with the like a shrug basically is it was essentially just sold on their relationship which we never really like got to fully invest in because like maybe it wasn't a real relationship like the poster to this movie could quite literally just be a magazine cover it's them looking pleasant yeah, yeah. they could just as easily be selling i don't know like l'oreal but they, they both have they these like vaguely constipated expressions on their faces though they're yeah. like looking in totally opposite directions also like it should not be discounted that like this was the beginnings of the ben affleck backlash and like we were already pretty much well into because the the backlash to gwyneth paltrow started like on her way off of the stage from winning best actress at the oscars so this is another almost two years later um but it's after Shakespeare in Love, Talented Mr. Ripley, which we talked about last week when we talked about uh, 1999 and the best films of 1999. We're like, that movie we loved and like got some success, but like not all that it was due. And I think part of that was people were sort of exhausted on, you know, saying nice things and giving shiny statues to Gwyneth Paltrow. Duets was largely mocked, even though... Duets is fine. Duets is cute, I think. Whatever. I haven't seen duets. Cruisin', I mostly I mostly remember the scene where she performs Cruisin', and it's like, it's cute. Um, Bounce was a failure. I don't remember anybody talking about her in relation to the anniversary party. Um, She's really funny in it. I remember seeing the anniversary party, and I remember her being good in it, but I don't think, like... She got any, she's like, like She's that. basically playing Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. She's, like, the pretentious person that shows up at this party and brings ecstasy, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, I think that's and right. everybody yeah. takes ecstasy. She's genuinely excellent in the Royal Tenenbaums, but nobody wanted to mention it at the time, so they talked about, like, no. everything else about that movie. And then it's In Order, Shallow Hell, 
Um, Possession, the Neil LeBute movie Possession, which like I don't think people really liked very much. View from the Top, Sylvia, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. And it's just like each movie sort of like was down further into the abyss of just like people just like didn't want to like her and she wasn't giving a whole ton of reasons to counteract that. We've talked about the patron saints of this podcast. Gwyneth Paltrow could totally be one. Yeah. Because it's like... Right. Proof, Proof, Running with Scissors followed that, Infamous, yep. the other Truman Capote movie. Right, right, yep. Even, like, Country Strong. I remember, and Country Strong was after Iron Man. So Iron Man sort of, like, represented where things started trending up again for her, right? Where, like, people really liked her in that movie. They liked her character. They liked her um, chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. And on the way towards things like... I mean, Contagion's a funny one to talk about in relation to Gwyneth Paltrow, because I really feel like there was a lot of, like, I loved Gwyneth Paltrow in Contagion when she was, like, a corpse on a slab or whatever. <laughs> well, but, like, it's fully a physical performance, and, like, no one will ever the remember photo the look of on herself her face. that she allowed to be on yep. that poster yep. convinces me that she, uh, while she may be, like, super privileged and every, all of that, yeah. it, that poster convinces me that she is not as pretentious as we maybe think she is. I Because, like, it's fully like, why would you let that image of yourself be plastered across movie houses all over the world? Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't, maybe doesn't get it in all contexts, but, like, there are many contexts in which she gets it. And I think that is one of, that you're talking about with Contagion is definitely one of them. Um, Country Strong was a terrible movie that, like, for a second there, it seemed like, because it was in the direct aftermath of um, Crazy Heart, where it was just like, oh, maybe, like, this will be her sort of, like, she'll get another nomination for this. She didn't. We've had a lot of people request Country Strong, and, like, for a movie that's essentially a musical, that is clearly the most forgettable Oscar nomination for a lot of people. Absolutely. Because we can't do it. It would have to be an exception. Right. And then I think recently, like, we all fully forgave her for Mordecai. We all blamed that on Johnny Depp, and, like, that's fine. We all sort of find her somewhat delightful in the fact that she can't remember what Avengers movies she's been in, or Spider-Man oh, movies, Oh, fully. She was, she's saying to herself, if anybody ever asks, I wasn't in Bounce. <laughs> right, right. That one? I don't think I was. And I then recently, Spider-Man. she's been, uh, she's become this sort of muse figure for Ryan Murphy. She was in a bunch of Glee episodes that, like... I didn't like her in, but a lot of people sort of found her, like, campy and fun. And I will say, I watched all of his very recent Netflix series, The Politician, which I don't think is a good show, but she's easily the best part of it. She's, like, genuinely very good I in that it. show. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always a little bit more bullish on Gwyneth Paltrow than most. And I like Gwyneth, even I, though she can be a nightmare. I mean, we'd mentioned the the William Joel story when we talked about her the last time, which is the quintessential. Listen, go back and listen to our Sylvia episode if you want to uh, to hear I the William story Joel story, so which is one of my favorite stories ever. Um, yeah, I have a hard time believing that she's not self aware that she's full of shit. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. I I, I think the degree to which she's self aware maybe wanes and waxes, but like, yeah. She sometimes gets it. Yeah. 
can we talk about the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards? Uh, can we ever, please? Because if let's. there's any arena in which Bounce was a success, we can say it was at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, where, in addition to... So it was nominated at two different award shows that year, one of which was at the MTV Movie Awards that year, where it was nominated for the prestigious, and I'm not even kidding when I say that, Best Kiss Award. We've already talked about this particular category with Best Kiss at this year's MTV Movie Awards because also nominated that year was Hannibal for Anthony Hopkins and Julianne Moore in a fully repulsive nomination for that. (laughs) So that didn't win. Bounce didn't win. The nomination for Bounce is one of those that I don't always love at the MTV Movie Awards, which is if you're going to get nominated for Best Kiss... I need to at least be able to picture what kiss from that movie you're talking about. I mean, the only ones that I can really picture, because I'm looking at this lineup now, is Cast Away, and only because that's, like, it's happening in the rain. Hannibal, Mm -hmm. because, like, even though it's, like, repulsive and gross, it's fully iconic. Yeah. But then Save the Last Dance won. Like, I don't remember Sean Patrick Thomas and Julia Stiles even kissing in that movie. I'm sure they did. I believe them when they say that they did. But, like, it's not, it's the dancing is, is in that movie. That's what we remember. It's the dancing. And then it's Scary Movie nominated, too, which, like, is it just the scene where, yeah, he, We're, like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know the one. He jizzes around at the ceiling. Yes. Yes. And he, like, evaporates. Yeah. Gross. It's gross. It's gross. super gross. However, the Blockbuster Bounce, Entertainment Awards. Bounce Essentially, does star a former Best Kiss winner in like an iconic Best Kiss win, Tasha Hentridge for Species. True, good connection. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely that, right. Is she won for the like the tongue through the back of the skull kiss, yeah. which we all remember. It's exactly what a Best Kiss should be. We all, when you say Best Kiss Species, I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Even if I may not have seen that movie, because like most of that kiss was in the trailer, they didn't show now the I'm like paranoid that I'm wrong. No, I don't I think remember that on the broadcast because I was like, how did they get away with showing this on TV? Because <laughs> it's super gross. It's super gross. No, I'm pretty sure you're right. You can look that up while I talk about the Blockbuster Entertainment yeah, Awards. Yeah, they won, they won, they won. Uh, ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow both won Blockbuster Entertainment Awards that year for Favorite Actor and Favorite Actress in a Drama Slash Romance. Sure. Also nominated for favorite supporting actress in a drama slash romance was Caroline Aaron, because of course she was. What? Yes. God bless the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards giving Caroline Aaron nominations for things she, well, things for things. For things, for anything. Yeah, good call. Maybe not things Um, she deserves. But this is the thing about the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards is that there are 8 billion categories and they nominate so many different like cast members from movies that like they go deep in a movie that like you would not even believe well okay first of all before we get to that i do want to talk about very briefly no we'll do that after the actors remind me after we do the actors that there's one more thing i want to talk about all right so i came up with it's not it's sort of a half-formed game for you chris i am going to mention a film from the year 2000 and you're going to tell me how many actors from that film were nominated for blockbuster entertainment awards that year damn okay so these are all from 2000 some of them are oscar favorites and some of them are decidedly not um but i'm gonna have you guess in terms of numbers all right okay so we're gonna start with crouching tiger hidden dragon 
the amount of acting nominations for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm yes. going to say two. You're exactly right. It is two, and it's for not for any of the acting no- uh, categories. It was for Best Action Team, Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun-Fat. Oh, we're counting those kind of categories. In any I. category. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. How many actors from Proof of Life were nominated? Uh, I guess two. Four. 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 Not, who beyond Meg Ryan and Russell Crowe is even in that movie? David Caruso, supporting actor. Pamela Reed, supporting actress. Wild. Okay. Fucking wild. How many actors from Hollow Man were nominated? Three. Four. Four. Kevin Bacon. Elizabeth Shue. Josh Brolin. Yes, Josh Brolin. And who's the fourth? Who else is even in that movie? Watch it be the the model lady who gets naked. No, oh, nope. Kim Dickens. Oh, okay, that's awesome. We like her. <laughs> it is, but like wild. How many actors from Almost Famous? Wow, that entire ensemble. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say eight. Oh, you actually overshot it. It's seven. Okay, which seven? Uh, Billy Crudup, yep. Francis McDormand, yep. Kate Hudson, yep. Patrick Fugit, yep. Feruza Balk? Yes! My Anna Paquin. Feruza Balk, not Anna Paquin. Okay, so it's not an ensemble prize? No, this, um, these are all individual nominations. Zoe in... Deschanel. Nope. No more women. Wow. Two more men. Um, Michael Ngarno? Nope. You're missing one very, very major actor in this movie. Uh, Jason Lee. Uh, yes, but one even more a major actor in this movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yes. Seven. The one awards body to be as gracious towards Almost Famous as I would have been. Um, you can count on me. Three. Zero. Zero? What the fuck? So mad. Uh, how many actors from The Grinch, the, the Jim Carrey The Grinch, were nominated? <laughs> uh, three fucking five <laughs> jim carrey christine baranski jeffrey tambor taylor momsen yep one more uh bill Irwin. nope female oh oh crap 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 <laughs> give it to me i don't know uh molly shannon Right, 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 right. This is all, by the way, all possible because the Blockbuster, Blockbuster Entertainment Awards have have awards in, like, every possible genre. Like, comedy and also comedy slash romance. Drama and also drama slash romance. Sci-fi, suspense. Like, it's, like, a bajillion categories. All right, but yes, right. five to the fucking Grinch. How many for Traffic? Best Picture nominee, Traffic. Hmm... I'm going to say just one. I'm just going to say Benicio Del Toro. You were right to lowball it. Not quite that low, but it was three. Mm. Benicio Del Toro and two others. Michael Douglas. Uh-huh. And uh, CZJ. And CZJ. Catherine Zeta-Jones, who should have been Oscar nominated for that movie. Yeah. She was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many for fave of weird gays everywhere, The Cell? Yeah. Um, of the cast? Yes. I'm just gonna, well, no, because there's thriller, suspense, there's horror. Uh, yep. I'll say three. It is three. Which three? Like, that's the only three. But well, 
Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Exactly. Um, Hell yeah, we are weird gays who love the Weird gays who love the cell. We have been uh, neglecting you, but we shout you out now in this month of October. Happy Halloween to Weird Gays Who Love the Cell. That movie is available on Netflix. Um, What women want in the comedy categories? How many nominees? How many actors from What Women Want? The question is, would they nominate Marissa Tomei for that movie? I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say two. The answer is four. Wow. Okay, so Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. The two leads, Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt, by the way. Who the hell else is in that movie? Yeah, that's that's up to you to guess while I look up how many nominations Helen Hunt got, all told, in this whole thing. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because this is 2000, so I assume Pay It Forward's nominated somewhere. She, okay, Helen Hunt, this was the year that essentially people say, like, killed her career because she was in too many things and it, like, overkilled. Uh, she was in What oh, Women... Oh, was she nominated for Castaway? Jesus Christ. She was nominated for Castaway, What Women Want, and Pay It Forward, and she won for two of them. She won for Castaway and What Women Want. Wow. Truly insane. That's bananas. But anyway, so your fourth cast member from What Women Want was... Mark Who Feuerstein. Who plays his best friend? Mark Feuerstein. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mark Feuerstein. Sure. Famous groom from uh, In Her Shoes, Mark Feuerstein, and also the nice Republican from that one season of The West Wing. Um, all right. So, final movie to guess how many nominees. Chocolat. Zero. Zero. Absolutely right. Zero. Because the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards don't like that foreign shit. <laughs> um, one last thing I will I want to say uh, they also awarded a best song prize which is absolutely a better category than the Oscars that year in 2000 I will say I'm gonna guess the winner based off of the five acting nominations that the Grinch has that where are you Christmas is their winner where are you Christmas wasn't even nominated isn't that insane whoa insane right so where are you That's Christmas crazy. Also should have been an Oscar nominee that year. The Oscar nominees Imagine I should mention. Imagine loving things from that movie more than the, that song. Oscar nominees that year were Things Have Changed from Wonder Boys. I've Seen It All from Dancer in the Dark, which is a rad nomination. Um, the Randy Newman song from Meet the Parents, A Fool in Love. The Sting song from Emperor's New Groove, My Funny Friend and Me. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, A Love Before Time. So those were all the Oscar nominees. None of them were Blockbuster <gasps> Entertainment Award nominees. But I would say... This is a populist. This is where the populism, the populism jumped out. Let's say, and it where was, like maybe that doesn't have the eligibility thing that Oscar has. Maybe it like was. These were pre-existing songs, possibly. All right, nominee Nutty Professor to the Clumps. What's the song? <gasps> doesn't really matter. Doesn't really, doesn't really matter. Nutty, nutty, nutty for Janet Jackson singing. Doesn't really matter. Charlie's Angels, the first Charlie's Angels. So what was the song? Independent Women it, Part Two. Independent Women. Destiny's Child absolutely would not have been Oscar eligible. Is it part one or part two? I think it's part one, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, I don't, I'm positive it wasn't Oscar eligible. Should have been. Um, a song from the movie Snow Day called An- sure. Another Dumb Blonde by Hoku. <laughs> sure. <laughs> by the way, the winner would have been a worthy win for the Oscar, if only because it would have given Diane Warren her Oscar that we both say she deserves. Is it Coyote Ugly? It's Coyote Ugly, Can't Fight the Moonlight. Oh my god. Oh, 
Okay, so let's talk about Can't Fight the Moonlight. I had this thing on Twitter that everybody fully roasted me with the results of the Twitter poll that I posted, but I was like, okay, what's the better song? Can't Fight the Moonlight or... Um, fuck, now I'm rusting Oh, the other, the other uh, Coyote the Ugly other song? The other bop, which is a bigger bop. Like I don't care. It's not Can't Fight the Moonlight. Uh, I don't care. Whatever. Also, okay, but I want to give you... I can't even remember this song. The fifth nominee from the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards did not win a song from the movie Runaway Bride. Not Ready to Run by the Dixie Dixie Chicks. Chicks? It's not Ready to Run by the Dixie Chicks. It is You Sang to Me by Mark (gasps) Anthony from Runaway Bride. Somehow, you monster, you have infiltrated... This research, <laughs> I nearly I totally forgot that it was even in that movie. I nearly threw my phone out the window when I found that. <laughs> you asshole. I am hounding you everywhere. I, whatever we talk about next week, <laughs> it will be in that movie. Yep. Anyway, also, Diane Warren has an original song in Bounce. Did you notice that over the closing credits? She does? Yes. It's what is, um... it? is it like a Sophie B. Hawkins song? It's called Need to Be Next to You. It's sung by Lee Nash sure. from um, Sixpence None the Richer. And it is fully original song written by Diane Warren. So truly, and this was the year in between when Diane Warren was nominated for the uh, Music of the Heart song and when she was nominated for There You'll Be from Pearl Harbor, sung by Faith Evans. Sorry, Faith Evans, Faith Hill. Faith Evans would be interesting. Um <laughs> So she, like this was a off this was a year off for Diane Warren. Now we see why because her contender was from fucking bounce. Yeah. Do we have? I feel like we've already sort of like into the ramp up of like closing closing the book on bounce. But do we have anything else we want to say about either the film or the talent involved? Tony Goldwyn was good for that one scene. I thought. It was nice. It I was mean, the rare yeah. scene where, like, Tony I... Goldwyn always blurring into his other roles. Oh, the other Coyote Ugly song is The Right Kind of Wrong. It's a great song. There you go. The Right Kind of Wrong. Um, you did have that Twitter poll, and you did get roasted for it. I do remember that. I got that. fully, like, boom roasted. <laughs> it was, like, 98% to 2%. I was like, you guys just haven't listened to this other song. It's 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 better. I will um, say, it was nice to see Tony Goldwyn in a role where I didn't hate him. Sure, because he's and he always didn't playing. End up being like the secret killer. He's the bad guy in Ghost. He's the bad guy in um, the Pelican Brief. He's obviously fucking Fitz on Scandal. Who's like, oh, I fucking hate Fitz. Um, I was sad to see that he had to die while wearing that super cute sweater. Oh, I did love the sweater. It had that like that sort of um, non-collar collar that was very popular at the time. A very Mark Anthony vibe. I don't know what you call that kind of a collar, but you know what I mean? Where like there's not an yeah. actual collar, so the top's just sort of like rolls down under its own volition or whatever. I don't know. It's very cute. <laughs> I guess one thing I would say about Bounce in relation to the Oscar race is like even if this had been better received I still think it would have had a really hard time ultimately like cracking the writing field both of those acting fields like we originally thought it could yeah um because like we've talked about that best actress race before but like that fully wouldn't have happened but even like 
the best actor lineup is pretty formidable with Russell Crowe winning for Gladiator, Jeffrey Rush for Quills, Tom oh, yeah. Hanks for Castaway, Ed Harris for Pollock, and Javier Bardem for Before Night Falls. But even the screenplay list, let me read this to you. Like, Don Well, Ruse before we go into screenplay, though, I, what, one thing about Best Actor that year was that mm-hmm. was also the year that Michael Douglas was like a shoe in for Wonder Boys and then mm-hmm. got snubbed on like the day of nomination. So, like, it was that was a category that ran pretty deep that year. Yeah. Yeah, so like neither of them probably would have stood much of a chance yeah. in an acting field, even if this was better received. But give me but like Don Roos, who'd already like won screenplay prizes, and you could have imagined could have been like a sixth or seventh slot the year of opposite of sex. Definitely. Like you would imagine him being like on a trajectory for a writing nomination. The other original screenplays were the winner, almost famous, Aaron Brockovich, You Can Count on Me, Billy Elliot, and Gladiator. All of those, which like, yeah, that's a were if not best picture contenders, had like major acting nominations or like best director other... nomination for Billy Elliot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Billy Elliot certainly would have been like a sixth or seventh probably slot for best picture. I love the years. I love the years when original screenplay is a stronger category than adapted screenplay it always feels like that's a better year for film it's interesting because 2000 was always sort of like ragged on as a weak year for film coming after 1999 and and all this sort of stuff but like you look at this year's oscars that is a really really strong and like pretty like widely distributed set of nominees where you have Mm -hmm. gladiator which is like a certain demographic of people really loved and then crouching tiger hidden dragon which was like a very like cool reaching out of the hollywood system for a director who had like had oscar success before but like sort of limited oscar success like we people forget that like ang lee totally got snubbed for a best director nomination for um Sense and Sense sensibility. sensibility. Yeah. But like, so Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon being the sort of phenomenon that it was and that the Oscars recognized that was very cool. Um, Aaron Brockovich, to the degree to which it stands up today as probably being my favorite of those five um, films. Me too. And then Traffic, which at the time was more respected than Aaron Brockovich. And there was a little sort of like that sort of um, parabola kind of dipped for a while on Traffic. But I think if you look back, Traffic is a really solid movie and like a really ambitious undertaking by Soderbergh. And I love that he won mm-hmm. Best Director for it. And I mean, you look at the other movies nominated that year, You Can Count on Me is phenomenal. The Contender is like so watchable. Um, Quills is an odd, like little, and like Pollock, the fact I that I would like, stand up for Quills. I yeah. Like Quills. I think I loved, I thought Pollock was very good and very strong. And that sort of got such surprise love from the Oscars there. And. You know, Billy Elliot's a very crowd pleaser of a movie, almost famous, which like, you know, you know how much I love that movie. It's a really mm-hmm. strong Oscar year. Wonder Boys at least got that screenplay nomination. That's another great one. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think of the 2000 Oscars in general? Oh, no, I think they're great <laughs> for the mo- I mean, for the most part, like a, a lot of the. I think some of it is just that it's aged really well. Like, Albert Finney, I kind of remember being like, oh, he's just writing the coattails of Julia Roberts. But it's like, no, that's a really it's great a really performance. really great performance. And even the things that, like, maybe we've forgotten about, like The Contender, yeah. are, like, still, I think, incredibly watchable. I find Sometimes so much think, of... Like, sorry, just real quickly about Albert Finney before we move on. I find so much of... Aaron Brockovich to be so wonderfully 
rewatchable, but especially yeah. when you talk about like people sort of underestimated Albert Finney's work in that movie, the very end of that movie where he goes, do they teach beauty queens how to apologize? Because you suck at it. You suck at and it. And that, that look of triumph on his face is the greatest goddamn thing. It's so good. The world's finest acting. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, the other thing about Aaron Brockovich is, like, it seemed like the tone around that movie during the, Os- like, the lead up to the actual Oscar nominations was that it overperformed right. because the whole narrative was around Julia Roberts. Right. And, like, now you look at it and it's like, they could have done so much more for them. Like, yeah. I don't know. The movie deserves even more. It's amazing. Um, I will say, like, this feels like one of those years where it's, like, people calling it a bad Oscar year feels like that kind of hangs on the perception of the worst things even though there's a lot of good to go around like it feels like people think this is a bad Oscar year purely because of Chocolat because of Chocolat and also it does require you to look past Gladiator to a degree like if you like if you are not inclined to like Gladiator, which I mostly am not, I think you sort of can look at Gladiator at the very top, that it wins Best Picture and Best Actor, and be just like, ugh, whatever, Gladiator won that year. But, like, just, like, scratch a little bit below the surface. You're right about Chocolat, too, where, like, Chocolat was such the the um, the nadir of this kind of Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. can get anything nominated, yada yada. And so that was that, too. But, like... God, just look at the fact that, like, Before Night Falls got a nomination for Javier Bardem this year was, like, great. Or, like, you know, just the the dynamo that was Ellen Burstyn in Requiem for a Dream. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a great Oscar year. Yeah, I think it's a good year, too. Yeah. I don't even really mind Gladiator all that much. I mean, like, the win isn't great, but... There's lots of things to, to admire and uh, respect about Gladiator. I don't find it to be an enjoyable movie to watch, but also it's not my genre. A lot of people who were into that yeah. genre really did find it very fun to watch and like good for them. Hurrah. Hurrah. Want to play the IMDb game? Yeah, absolutely. Want to tell so the So the IMDb game, we, every week we end our episodes with it, uh, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, however, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Love a free-for-all of hints. Would you, Chris, like to give first or guess first? I think I want to guess first. Okay. So, obviously, um, the directing career of Don Roos gave me a lot of avenues down which to go, and I went down one of the more obvious ones to the point where I'm worried that we might have both picked the same one. So We did not. Okay, good. That was not my avenue. Okay, good. So I am going to give you the star of The Opposite of Sex, Miss Christina Ricci. Yes, I li- probably literally the first actress I ever stand. If I oh, that's awesome. The language of the children. I loved her as a kid. From I mean, what? Maybe that what was, was part- your primary jumping point with her? Um, I mean, like there was so much. Like I fully had Casper on rotation. I had now and then on rotation. I like had to sneak the Adams Family. I wasn't allowed to watch it. But if I'm being fully honest, I think it was because of this movie with Anna Klumski called Gold Diggers. I've never heard of that movie. 
Um, it is just, I probably couldn't tell you the plot of it, but it is like a female friendship movie where they live in the mountains. Gold Digger's The Secret of Bear Mountain from 1995. Huh. I had that damn poster. Christina Ricci, Anna Klumski, Diana Scarwood. Interesting. I would have been like seven. Like, if there's any like indication that i was going to grow up to be what i was going to be like you talking about christina ricci like my options as a child would have been like the adams family casper and i'm like you know what no i'm going to go for the intimate character drama mm-hmm. starring two women well you and know what was my primary uh christina ricci formative experience what mermaids uh well yes of course mermaids her film I wasn't debut allowed to watch mermaids uh Mermaids, you know what? You were right. they were right to keep you away from it because truly, it would have turned you gay so much sooner. Um, Mermaids is wonderful. All right, but Christina Ricci is known for. Okay, so let me guess this. I'm gonna say the Adams Family. The first one or the second one? The first one. First one, correct. It's almost always the first one. Yes. Um, Sleepy Hollow. Spooky nope. season. No, and the Hollow. rare Tim Burton that doesn't show up because Tim Burton shows up. Uh, Pretty prominently mm. in these. So well, well guessed, but no. I love Sleepy Hollow. Um, I'll, I'll just say Casper. Casper. Correct. Okay. Can I keep you? The answer for the IMDb games purposes is yes. Oh. Um, I'm going to say now and then because like a lot of people have been writing about now and then and it's been on Netflix. So now and then. Netflix, correct. The 1995 double for Christina Ricci. Casper right. and now and then you're three for three, my friend. That was a risky guess. Or no, um, wait, you're three for four because you guessed Sleepy Hollow, so you've got one wrong guess. I really don't think Speed Racer is going to be there. I'm trying to think of other big things. Uh, I mean, maybe no, no. I'm I'm gonna go with maybe one of the more obvious ones, and I'm gonna say the Ice Storm. Incorrect, not the ice storm. So that is two wrong guesses. Oh, wow. So now you get the year, and the year is 2006. Oh, so it's semi-recent. Yes. 2006. So after Monster. Yep, that's how I would have framed it as well. I wonder if it's that werewolf movie. It can't be that. What else was she in? Maybe Speed Racer was after that, though. Wait, I know what it is. It's Black Snake Moan. It is somewhat improbably Black because Snake it, Moan. Because that's like right at the beginning of... Co- yeah, Black Snake Moan. Craig Brewer? Yes? Yes. Yeah. Current director of Dolomite Is My Name. Yeah, very interesting career, that guy, I will say. Black Snake Moan is a movie I wanted to love much more than I actually did. I feel like I was ready for something very daring and transgressive and bold and it's really and not and it and it's just exactly what you expect but not in a i don't know it doesn't surprise didn't surprise you i, I always know. feel like his movies should be more transgressive than they end up being and like that would make them maybe a little bit more thrilling even though like i think he makes really watchable movies i really like dolomite as my name but i don't think it's very well directed you know what movie i will stick up for for craig brewer not as one not as his best movie but like the one that i think people would assume would be his worst his remake of footloose is really good i've heard people say that it's good i really really enjoy it um 
and and it's it's not precious with the original while still like giving you all the sort of like the high points that it gives you and it cast instead of casting a heartthrob actor in the lead it cast a heartthrob dancer which like more movies should do that honestly it's also the thing it's the one thing that i like no it's one of two things that i love miles teller and the other is rabbit hole um yeah he's good in rabbit hole anyway kim dickens is also in that movie it's a good one for you, I did not go the Don Roos route. I went the Caroline Aaron route. <laughs> and after last week of you giving me a video game for Ray Liotta, I think you have this coming to you. Caroline Aaron, one of the crew of suburban women in Edward Scissorhands. If you want a screen representation of what gay Twitter is like, look at those women. <laughs> um, Wait, tag yourself. Which one are you? Uh, probably Caroline Aaron. Um, fully. I get to be Conchata Farrell, like great, a answer. total bitch, just great like one great answer. Um, <laughs> however, the ringleader of those suburban ladies is the great, the legend Kathy Baker. I will say, you have TV in here, but it is a one. There is one TV show and one TV movie. You have this coming to you. Wait, so to, to clarify, you're giving me Kathy Baker. You are getting Kathy Baker. Okay. I'm trying to guess. I was I was going down the Caroline Aaron route a second ago. and like, what would it before be? All right, Kathy Baker. So one television show and one television movie? Yes. It sounds insane, but because I was watching it recently, I just have to guess. Is the television movie too big to fail? No. Okay. Um... Is the television show Picket Fences? Yes. Okay. That's cool. The Picket Fences would still be in the, in her IMDb top five. That was forever ago. She got ago. a globe people, for it. People generally don't ever talk about that show. All right. So two movies and an Emmy. Kathy Baker. <sighs> Cold Mountain. Yes. All right. All right. Cold Mountain. Which weirdly ends on Kathy Baker, Nicole Kidman, Renee Zellweger, and Jack White running a uh, uh, autonomous commune in the <laughs> post Civil War South. Congratulations <laughs> to everybody for the way that movie ends. All right, so I got the TV series and I got one of the two films. Kathy Baker, I don't want to guess to Jillian. Now I'm just going through like stuff we've talked about on this. Hmm. <laughs> All right, TV so movie. What's that? I'm so happy to be doing this to you. Yeah, you really, really were scarred by the Ray Liotta situation. Fun city. <laughs> you have one you know wrong what? guess. You're still waiting on the TV movie and another right. movie. Right. Okay. So, Kathy Baker. Damn it. Um, now I'm just thinking of other TV shows that she's on, which is, like, not the way I need to be going. Um, <laughs> I'm not okay. going to say anything. Is it the Jane Austen Book Club? No! So that's your two wrong guesses. I will give you the years. The uh, TV movie is 2010. The other movie... 
I was also doing the thing to you that you hate that I do, and you think it's a thing, but it's not oh, a thing, but it makes you so mad. Okay. Yeah, the movie is 1990. 1990. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands. Yes, correct. So, your TV movie from 2010. It is a character name in the Wait, title. I, 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 I got it, 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 I got it. 2010, the uh, awards bait classic, Temple Grandin. No. No. Oh, I thought she was in that. Okay. I do I do believe this is a series of television movies from this lead actor. And the character name that he plays is at the beginning is at the top beginning oh, of the title of all of these movies. Jesse Stone, yada yada. Like <laughs> you asshole. Yes. Which what's the subtitle to this one? Or is it just Jesse Stone? It is Jesse Stone, No Remorse, starring Tom Selleck as the eponymous Honestly, you could have Jesse called that Stone. Jesse Stone Vice City, and it would have been a nice little revenge served cold for you. I truly have no idea what the hell this is, and um, as soon as I saw that on Kathy Baker's, I was like, I'm not looking any further. This is what Joseph is going to be um, stuck with. All right, Kathy Baker, other stuff that could have been, now I'm going to look on her IMDb, because that's insane that it's that and not The Age of Adeline or Medium. She was in several episodes of Medium. Grey's Anatomy, of course. She was on Boston Public, of course. Tons of David E. Kelly stuff. 13 Going on 30. Right, 13 Going on 30. As we mentioned on this podcast, to Jillian on her 37th birthday, inventing the Abbots. Cider House Rules. Cider House Rules. Yeah, she's great in Cider House Rules. I loved her in that. Wild. All the King's Men, that terrible movie, All the King's Men. That we should eventually talk about. We definitely should. Oh, she's in Last Chance Harvey. I remember liking her in Last Chance Harvey. Another movie we could talk about. Definitely. Joseph, any last thoughts on a bounce? Well, I'm getting a bounce. Mm-hmm. I want Gwyneth to be brunette again. That's what I want. One more. Give us one more brunette movie, Gwyneth. That's all I want. A good one. Yeah. Other than that, um, Ben Affleck is a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ben Affleck as a romantic hero is a problem, and I don't think that's ever going to change. I think ultimately, you know, we all we all side with Amazing Amy on this one. What about you? Uh, I, too, side with Amazing Amy. Um, you can hit it in the morning. If you were broke, I would still <laughs> I want hate you. you. Hate you. Yes. There are other bounce songs. There are other bounce songs besides that one that we're going to use, so it's fine. Um, but that is our episode. If you would like more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? On Twitter at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, also Letterbox under the same name, and you can also find me writing regularly for the film experience. Huzzah! I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the same way. Um, as you noticed, I am resurgent in my Letterboxd usage lately, so, you know, encourage me to keep that up, because Lord knows my initiative doesn't always last very long. Um, we would We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with visibility on Apple Podcasts, so quit flirting with that bitchy gay co-worker of yours in the men's room and write something nice about us, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye. Bye.